crown, Lord of love. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and side. Those wounds yet visible above. In beauty glorified. All hail, Redeemer, hail. For thou hast died for me. Thy praise and glory shall not fail. If you can make it up here after 18 hours of day of giving. That's all right. That's why I get the big bucks. If you all have a seat. This, I haven't figured out where the big bucks are, but they're there. We are, um, uh, just a quick report. We had a day of giving yesterday, and uh, I know numbers are important to a lot of people, but here's, here's the numbers that matter. I mean, we served over 500 people yesterday, but uh, the important thing is they were prayed over. And they were prayed over again in many instances. They got the word of God uh, with the gift of a Bible. And so that's the, that's the thing that matters. And so that is a good thing. And so we started a community emphasis yesterday, and we're going to finish it up tonight. And what I'd like to do is invite everybody that's here today, right now, to come back tonight. Um, we are going to have a season and special call to prayer for our school system. And uh, we're going to be praying for our students, our teachers, our administrators tonight. We're going to have a time to, to write uh, notes of encouragement to them and uh, pray over them. And uh, so it doesn't matter if you've got a kid in the system or does, you don't have a kid. If you're a grandparent, it doesn't. Come back tonight and let's pray together for our community and for our kids as they get ready to go back to school. Uh, there's a lots of things that go on in our school, and uh, we just need to lift them up in prayer. And uh, just, just be prayer warriors for them. So come back tonight at 530 in here, and uh, there will be a, an opportunity for every age group to be a part of that. So um, it will bless you to, to be a part of it. So be here tonight at 530. Let's pray together now. Uh, God, we are thankful for uh, an opportunity we have today to come and worship. And God, there's people all over the world, uh, even now, that can't, can't worship together because it's illegal. But we thank you for that freedom that we have to come to lift up the name of Jesus, and we hope that everything that is said and sung and preached and, and everything that is done and, and here today will bring glory and honor to you and that the name of Jesus will be lifted high. We thank you, God, for the opportunity we have just to come into the throne room and to, to spend just a few moments with you as we worship you, God. And I pray for the people that are in this room. We all come with different needs today. But, God, if there's anybody in this room today that does not know you as their personal Savior, may today be their day, day of salvation. May you draw them to yourself, and may they leave here changed because they've encountered you. So, Father God, speak to us, use us, calm our, heart, calm our hearts so we can be focused on, on you and your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Blake. If you would, please uh, take this uh, 
little blue card. It's called a connection card. And if you're with us maybe for the first time, we'd love to know you're worshiping with us. So please fill that out. And you can either put that in the offering plate or take it out to the connection area uh, out in the lobby, and uh, they'll greet you out there. And then... Um, the a prayer card as well for all of us who have any prayer requests be sure and put those in the offering plate uh, at the end of the ser or no it'll be in the middle of the service uh, when when the offering plate is is passed okay um, so today our pastor and his family are or some of his family anyway I don't I don't know who's here but uh, they're on vacation seeing grandkids and uh, brother James is going to uh, not not James from the Bible but our our James is going to uh, is going to be bringing the word and uh, one of his uh, points is God is sovereign over this world and so this great great old hymn reminds us of just that let's sing it together this is my father's world This is my father's word, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's word, I rest thee in the thought of rocks and sovereign over this world. He is sovereign over his holy word. 
Amen. This great, I learned this song about, oh, it's been 20 years ago, and it's really been one of my favorites uh, since then about God's Word. Ancient words, ever true, changing me, changing you. Do you realize we don't open God's Word to find out stuff, right? We open God's Word for our lives to be transformed. Amen? Let's sing this together. person within the sound of my voice would say, Lord, I have come with an open heart today to receive your word, to be changed by you, not just to find out new stuff about scripture, not just to visit with my friends and my church family, but to literally be changed. Lord, we all know that we need to be chiseled into the image of Jesus just a little bit sharper today than yesterday, a little bit sharper tomorrow than today. And Lord, help us to uh, open up our, our lives to be able to do that today. Lord, as we receive this offering, we just pray your blessing upon it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
we're going to do a song that uh, we learned a couple weeks ago, and uh, Almost Home. It's almost like a when we all get to heaven type of song, uh, but it's a new song written about being almost home. Have you ever heard the phrase, um, you know, they're no earthly, they're, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good? Have you heard that? Uh, some of us old timers have. Um, if, uh, but, but some would say, well, if you're not focused, if, you're, if, you're, if your focus is not on, on your eternal goal, then how could you even be any earthly good? And so that's, this sort of reminds me of that in this song. Let's sing together. We're almost home. From the single anchor, we're almost home. Though every toil and danger, we're almost home. How many pilgrim saints have been for us, Lord? No stopping now, we're almost home. That promised land's a calling, we're almost home. And not a tear shall fall. about, uh, I don't know how long it's been since we saw Ephesians 1, the pastor's preaching, but uh, it says this, let's say it together, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance to the saints. 
Well, that's basically what this next song says, and it's really a prayer song. So let's, let's say, sing it very prayerfully in preparation to receive God's Word today, all right? Word of God, speak. Thank you. 
If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 1, if you haven't already. We're going to be camped out here in Mark chapter 1 as we look at this passage written to us from Mark. I'm going to be reading a small portion of this uh, area of Scripture as we begin in verse 22. The Word tells us, And they were astonished at His, being Jesus' teaching. For He taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And as immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the hope that it brings to our wandering heart. Father, I pray this morning that in all that is shared here, that, Father, you would be glorified in the fact that we can take great hope and security in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, most of all, I pray that you would put my word second, and, Lord, that your spirit would lead. We praise you and we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Do you consider yourself to be a historian, a person that's interested maybe in history? Or was it one of those classes that you kind of slept through in high school and you're glad you got a C and you could move on? Well, I don't consider myself to be a historian by any measure, but when it comes to aeronautical history, you guys know how much of an aeronautical nut I am. For those of you who don't, just hang around with me. I can tell you lots of airplane stories. So as I was... um, having the privilege, and back in the summer of 2013, I got a phone call. It was my boss. He said, hey, James, we got a phone call, and we need a chaplain to go give an invocation for a reunion. And I thought, sir, that's kind of interesting. Tell me a little bit more. And he just told me a few brief more words, and he said, it's yours. Go be gone. I said, yes, sir. And so I was off and gone doing my thing as, as a as chaplain. So I arrived in Kansas City that summer, And I arrived at the 509th Composite Wing reunion. Now, for many of you, you're like, whoa, what in the world is that? And I said the same thing. As I arrived, I found out that it was actually the um, surviving men of um, the, the mission that on August the 6th, 1945, changed the entire uh, front of the war in the Pacific Realm. For those of you who are true historians, you know that that was the day that the atomic mission was dropped on Hiroshima. And so I was fascinated instantly by being with these men, and some of them had passed, and, but I literally got to talk eyeball face-to-face with these men who did this great mark in our nation's history. Now many of them are gone, and it's a privilege that I look back on and I go, wow, that was just a very unique moment in time. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the testimony of Jesus' life, and specifically the writing that's given to us. And it's unique in the fact that this is actually Mark's first story of transitioning from uh, the background of who Jesus was. He instantly throws us into this Sabbath morning. Now, I don't know if that stirs your curiosity or not, but it does 
mine. As we've had the privilege and opportunity, we've looked at some of the miracle stories when I've been able to share the pulpit here and be with you. And so this morning, we're going to continue that charge as we walk through all of the miracles of Scripture. We know that Mark, out of the 39 to 40 miracles that are provided to us in Scripture, Mark actually addresses and gives us details concerning 20 of those miracles. Almost half of those miracles, Mark gives us great detail. So this morning, my curiosity is even stirred more. Why did he start with this specific day? What is so unique to this moment that this instantaneously is the thing that Mark provides for us looking at the life of Jesus? When we look at the Bible from cover to cover, beginning to end, back in Genesis, we are given this, we're painted this great picture of struggle. The struggle in the garden, right? Satan tempts Eve and questions her understanding, her respect to God's word. What did Satan say? You surely won't die if you eat of the fruit, right? Satan was questioning immediately as we're given in that moment the authority of God's word. So this morning, as we've gone through several miracle stories, I want to come back and look at how do you look at the seven stories of exorcism? Now, I have to say this, getting started, Philip said, what are you preaching on, James? I said, an exorcism. He said, what? I said, well, it's in the Bible. And so I began to share with him where we're going to go today. And he goes, oh, I see where you're going now. So it is kind of an awkward setting here. How do you go back? And I would challenge you over the next month, if you don't have a reading plan, man, get into the Gospels and read those miracle stories. Each and every one has a very unique purpose in Scripture for us. Amen? So um, we're going to be looking at this first one that Mark provides for us. We're going to look at the authority of God's word. We're going to look at the authority that Jesus Christ has over all things in this world. And then ultimately, where does Christ's authority rule over you and me? This morning, there's going to be a challenge. There's going to be a challenge, as you're going to see in the lives of um, the people in the synagogue on this specific Sunday, or Sabbath day, I should say, that it's a question of, will we hear the message that is provided through Mark to you and me? None of us love authority. It's just a natural part of our sinful nature that we rebel against it. Or at least maybe I'm confessing my own sins. But as we read this, you're going to see that struggle in this story. And I pray this morning that you will open your heart and mind to what the Word of God has to say to us. So, Mark chapter 1. If you've got your finger in your Bible, let's, let's roll through this story together. By what authority is Jesus speaking here? It is his word. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And they um, went into Capernaum, and immediately on that Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. You know that Jesus did, we know that Jesus did more miracles than we have written in Scripture. As you begin to look through all the miracle stories, uh, John chapter 21, verse 25 makes it clear that there'd be no way to contain all the miracles of Scripture. And so we know that there's many details concerning Jesus' public ministry, but Mark is starting to tell 
uh, this story, the, uh, this event, uh, towards the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Something very familiar. Jesus was not out of place in this story. His place was rightfully so in the synagogue. We know that it's not unique or special. Many other uh, Gospels uh, relay that information to us as well. But there's no doubt that there was a difference in Jesus' teaching, right? Do you hear it? It's very clear that Jesus' teaching was one of authority, unlike the scribes. Well, what do we know about the scribes? We know that the scribes had kind of fallen into this whimsical teaching. Um, in, in each of um, the synagogues, you would have a leader, but they weren't really uh, articulate. They would just be kind of a, of a, a group leader. And so you would get this very washed down, very pale um, pr presentation of God's word. And so Jesus came in, and of course, with all authority, he could teach the word very well. Was it his delivery? Was it his style? Was it his volume that made him sound like he had authority? Well, we're going to look at that in just a minute. Isn't it amazing how sometimes our words can just become almost washed out and meaningless. This spring, I had an opportunity. The opportunity came to me. Jeffrey came to me and said, hey, James, I need a coach. Will you coach baseball with me? I said, man, let me, let me, let me check. And I put him off, and I put him off. But finally, I said, okay, we're going to play baseball, so here we go. How do we do this, coach? So we played our first two games, and boy, it was rough. The boys are looking at me. It, we, we lost 12 to nothing. We lost maybe 16 to nothing. And, the, and my boys are like, Dad, you may want to go do something else this spring. I said, nah, let's hang in there. So Jeffrey comes to the next practice, as a good coach does, right? And he says, boys, we're going to do something different here. And so he said, we're going to go to hand signals. Because at this level of the ball game, it's all about getting base hits, stealing bases, and putting yourself in a spot to score to win the game. So he went over and over with us. He showed us the signal. We were like, okay, coach, okay, coach, yes, coach. We know what the signal is. So we come to our first game, and we're out there playing, and lo and behold, um, we got our first base runner. So as I was standing down at uh, first base, I said, hey, we got no outs. Remember, halfway, if it's in the air and it's caught, you come back. Eyes on coach over at third base. And the little boy, he's like, got it, coach. So we both kind of settle in. We're looking, we're looking at the pitcher as he's getting ready, and all of a sudden, Jeffrey started, he just exploded out of the box. He's doing all of this, and, and the little boy, he turns and looks at me, and he goes, Coach, what do all those signs mean? And I said, I don't have the foggiest of clue. <laughs> and he leaned back and said, Coach, I think he just got the itchies. <laughs> there was no qualm about Jesus' teaching in the synagogue. He was preaching God's word eternal words of truth and hope for you and me. So what do we know from Scripture concerning Jesus' teaching? Well, we know that looking back and, and digging through the synoptic Gospels, the four Gospels, we know that Jesus very clearly taught about specific events, unique people, and also uh, dynamic lessons from the Old Testament, some 78 times. He also referenced directly and spoke of the Pentateuch another 26 times. 
Do you start to see the trend here? If you go back and look at the specific teachings, teachings of Jesus that's given to us, he quoted Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Psalms, the Proverbs, the Minor Prophets, the Major Prophets, um, even Jonah, Micah, and Malachi, some 15 Old Testament books in total. Jesus referred to the Old Testament as the Scriptures, the very words of God and the wisdom of God. I'm going to put a slide up if you're taking notes this morning. Um, I've offered a um, list of verses that um, outline several passages where Jesus talks about the divine authority of his teaching. And as you go through, it wasn't Jesus making up new truths. Jesus was going back to the Old Testament proclaiming the eternal words of our Heavenly Father. The question this morning is, is God's word practical and relevant for us? Oh, I don't know how clear it needs to be, but I believe the answer is yes. Because God's word is eternal. Teachers, are you teaching the word? How does that impact us in our ministries here at church? Men, are you ready for our upcoming Bible study? Because we're going to get back into the Old Testament. We're going to look at the lives of the men who lived their lives under God's word. Jesus had all authority over his word. He did not have to prove it. He did not have to put it on display. He did not have to defend it. Because he was the very son of God. We'll talk more about this in a minute. Well, Mark doesn't leave us hanging here. If you have your finger in your Bible... Let's continue to look at this story. So by what means can we trust Jesus' authority over all things in this world? Look at verse 23. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. My, Mark heightens our attention here with some, a familiar word that you'll see as you read the book of Mark. He used that word immediately. He used it many, 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 many times in the book. But he introduces this unnamed man. We don't know much about him. We don't know if really he was out of place because Mark doesn't allude to him being out of place. But we do know with certainty that he was, he was filled with an unclean spirit. Now there's a couple points here that we can zoom right over the top of. And many of you, as myself, we've read this story time and time again. And we just zoom right over the top. But when you take a moment to look at this, there's some finer points that are provided for us. Number one, do you hear the stark difference from the earlier verses of the people who were in the synagogue, how they referred to Jesus? They weren't sure who this man with great authority was, but how does this demon-possessed man immediately address Jesus? He addresses him with the authority of God, right? The very Son of God. And so it's kind of odd that... Um, Mark adds this here. The other thing that stands out as you read this, that this man was probably possessed with multiple demons. Do you hear the plurality there? What have you come to do to us? 
Mark is trying to make very clear for you and me that it's often easy for us to just zoom over the authority of Jesus and what he has. How did Jesus respond? Did he respond with his accreditation and his, his background and things that he had done? No, he clearly exemplified the authority to hush these demons and to cast, eventually cast them out. Jesus Christ reigns over all things. He makes it clear here, and Mark is making it clear here too, that even before the death and miraculous resurrection, Jesus Christ had the authority to silence the demons. Last year, there was a movie released, Ghostbusters 2. I don't know why they made a second one, but that's not the point. How much do you think that that movie collected in box office tickets? 20 million, maybe 35 million, 204 million dollars. Yes. When I saw that stat, I went, wow, that is fascinating. Because, you know, as I have atheist friends who say there's no God, and we can talk and talk and talk and talk, the rest of the world is curious because they want to go see a movie about whimsical, animated, spiritual things. Do you find that odd? I don't, because I think deep down in all of us, we know that there's something beyond this realm. And Jesus Christ exemplifies his authority here, not because he had to cast the demons out of this demon-possessed man, but because he was not going to let the demons let his identity be known. As we look at scripture, Jesus had authority over all things from the beginning time and forevermore. And so as we read this story, that's easy to just pass over the top here. But the question is, what does the Bible say exactly about Satan and this demonic force and realm that we live in? Are you ready for a little quick cover-to-cover history here? If you're taking notes, your pencils are going to start to squeak or smoke or whatever. So here we go. Number one, what is the origin of demons? We know that God created all things, heaven and earth, perfectly well. Genesis chapter 1. Um, there, was no, there was no blemish. There was no flaw. However, when we get to Genesis chapter 3, we see the struggle of Satan tempting Eve in the garden. We're not given a lot of details about this angelic rebellion, but we do know that it resulted in a a very concise demonic confinement. You can go to Jude verse 6. It gives us more detail about how they are shackled and chained, my friends, and that some of the demons were sent here to earth. Now, as you read the Old Testament, there's a unique um, distinction here. The term Satan, as we know from Job chapter 1, verse 6, is a Hebrew word. It literally means adversary, the adversary of all that God had created. And the New Testament carries that same verbiage over into the New Testament, as we know that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. So what do we know about the, the activity of these fallen angelic beings? Well, number one, we know that Satan is the originator of sin. Um, From the beginning, God created all things perfect and well, 
However, in Genesis chapter 3, as well as John chapter 8, in 1 John chapter 3 verse 8, the devil's end game is to only take everything that God has made good and perfect and destroy it. These demonic goals um, can be seen throughout Scripture. We know that Satan and the demons are the chief of liars, masqueraders of deception of truth, and also the architects, ultimately, of death. So what does the Bible tell us concerning the worldly activity? All right. I told you this was going to be a a very nutshell. Well, as you go to the Old Testament, there is not any reference really directly or explicitly given concerning demons. Find that odd? However, if you want to look this up, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 16 and 17, speaks of the intentional demonic worship and sacrifices to demons. So the demons in the worship was there. Maybe that was Ghostbusters 1. But the truth here is that when you begin to look at the false pagan worship, as we've gone through our um, ABC study in Sunday school, we've seen pagan worship over and over and over again. And it seems like it is constantly throughout Scripture. And as you dig deeper and look at those passages, there's a traced outline that there is probably demonic um, activity involved there for you and me. All right, now let's fast forward hundreds of years. We're now to Jesus' public ministry in day. So what control and power do these fallen angels have over us? The story this morning, we see that this man, we're not given a lot of details of what happened afterwards or the condition of what happened, but we do know that Jesus um, had all authority uh, to exercise this unclean spirit. Job chapter 1, verse 12, and Job chapter 2, verse 6, makes it clear that Satan had to go to who? Had to go to God for permission to test and try Job. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel real confident. Amen? Is that, you know what? Yes, these fallen angels, these beings that we're told seven times that Jesus exercised his authority over, they still have to ask Jesus Christ or ask God the Father to um, have any control over you and me. James chapter 4, verse 7 tells us very clear that submit yourselves therefore to who? To God, and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That brings great hope to my heart. So what is the end game here? We know clearly if you go to Revelations chapter 20, that one day the final and full judgment of God that started from the beginning of time, the rebellion in heaven, will end in ultimate and final judgment of all of these unclean spirits, including Satan himself. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that great day of how much God loves us and that he protects you and me. Oh, friends, we don't have anything to fear because Jesus' authority is over all things, here and in eternity. Well, Mark doesn't leave us hanging. He's going to finish the story for us. If you're still looking in Mark chapter 1, read with me verses 26 through 28. Jesus Christ's authority rules over all of our lives even today. The unclean spirit convulsing him, that's the possessed man, and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. 
so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Oh, in verse 26, it is only by God's omniscient knowledge and his omnipotent power that he was able to cast the unclean spirits from this man. We don't know the end condition of this man, but I can only garner a guess that this man did not have to be convinced in the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen? And I'm pretty sure the person that sat next to him in Sunday school the next week probably didn't question the authority of Christ either. But what did, what did the people in the synagogue do? Well, say, what's this? Even the spirits obey him? I don't know about you, but Mark's making a clear statement. And he's going to drive this through the next probably four chapters as you look at the book of Mark. That you know what? Jesus was very much so the Son of God. And he had all authority over your life and mine. These eyewitnesses stood literally face to face with their Savior. And they still could not see the authority that he had. Mark brings us to this point. I think he's trying to linger this point very, very clearly for you and me as we stand here. You know, we can be like the little boy that uh, his parents, he, he was resisting his parents and his parents said, sit down. And so he finally sat down. And he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm still standing up. <laughs> oh, how that can be true for us in our heart. True. Yeah, God, I'll let you have this area of my life. I want you to redeem this area of my life. But you know what? This little spot over here, this is all mine. I've got it, God. We're doing good. I'm all right. Thank you. Have we given the full authority of Jesus Christ over our life? The question is, does Jesus Christ have the power to take souls from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light? Luke chapter 4 echoes the same miracle story for us. Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 37. And Luke has the same angle and slant, that it was the authority of Jesus Christ that controlled this moment in the synagogue. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, if you're still taking notes this morning, I invite you to go back and look at this. Paul makes this argument clear for us this morning. He said, He, being Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Oh, friends, that doesn't stir your heart. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 makes this clear as well. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Friends, this morning, Jesus Christ has the power to transform your heart and mine. My question this morning to you is, have you allowed him to do that? I want to give a couple more verses here as I'm providing further thought. These verses all talk about the authority that Jesus Christ has over your life and mine. Maybe this week, I would challenge you, sit down and look at those. 
Jesus didn't have to do a tap dance. He didn't have to do a miracle. He didn't have to show up at this very moment. But it's rather clear that Mark was convinced after seeing this happen in the synagogue that this exemplifies that Jesus has all authority over your life and mine. We need a Savior, amen? There's two, there's two important parts when we come to this subject of salvation. We need a perfect and we need a permanent payment for sin. Praise God, we did not have to drag sacrificial animals in this morning. Praise God that when Jesus Christ went to die for your sins and mine, it was once and for all. It was purely and perfectly done. There was no go back and let me update that. Let me update or upgrade this. When Jesus Christ died for you and me, he took all the punishment of our sins. The second part of this need for all of us in humanity is that we need a sacrifice with the power to rescue us. No one is perfect in this room. None of us are, are um, going to stand before Jesus and say, oh, I, I, oh, that was just one bad day, sorry. We need the authority of what Jesus exemplified for us on the cross. He possessed the power to rescue us from the dominion of sin. Do you remember the miracle of Matthew chapter 17, verse 14? When the disciples failed to exercise the unclean spirit in this man's son. And the spirits were literally taking this young boy and throwing him into the fire to be burnt, throwing him in the water to be drowned. And the dad comes to Jesus in anguish because he's like, Jesus, the, demon, uh, the disciples can't even cast the demons out. And what did Jesus say? He said to the man, bring the son to me. And Jesus uh, expelled that possession. Oh, friends, Jesus has the power to change lives. He has all authority. You can go back and read all of these miracle stories concerning Jesus' authority in exercising the unclean spirits, but the question this morning is, does Jesus Christ have authority over your life? As we've been going through Ephesians, I've been ever more challenged with this, that you know what, men and women, being good husbands, being good wives, you can't do it unless the authority of Christ is ruling over all of your heart and life. As I studied this and wrestled with it, I go, Oh, Lord, there's more in my heart that you need to take control of. This morning, Mark makes a very clear point for you and I. Does Jesus Christ have authority over your heart? I'm sure in this synagogue... It was a day that everybody walked away and went, whoa. That is heavy-duty stuff. But praise Jesus. Amen? Praise Jesus for the authority that is given to his word and to this life that we live in and struggle with and ultimately our lives. John chapter um, 8, verse 32 states that I think as clear as it can possibly be this morning for you and for me. When we know the truth, the truth will what? It will set us free. Friends, this morning, are you captive? What is it this morning that you're captivated by? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's illness. Maybe it's just flat-out rebellion against God. Maybe it's a stubborn heart. Maybe it's a spirit of unforgiveness because of something that happened. My question this morning is, will you let Jesus Christ have full authority over you? Let's pray.
Father, we, uh, we thank you for the story that Mark so eloquently and purposefully presented in, in his word to us. Father, we are even more grateful for the authority that you have over all things. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to live in this world in fear, that we don't have to live in a state of constant rebellion against you. But God, when we surrender our heart and life to you, God, you are in the business of changing hearts. Father, I know this morning that you are already fast at work. Now, Father, the, those whom you are reaching to, and, and um, this morning as your word is shared, Father, I know that your spirit is fast at work. And so I pray, Lord, in these next few moments, the decisions that need to be made either publicly or individually, just in our own heart, that, Father, we would come to that point of surrender, that we would truly submit ourselves and place you over our lives and our hearts. Father, we thank you for your long-suffering with us. Lord, we don't understand many things, but, Father, we can have faith in you because of who you are. Lord, may you lead by your spirit this morning, and it is in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. This morning, I don't know where you stand. I don't know how this message has spoke to you. All I know is that as I begin to read the miracles of Jesus, I go, I need a Savior. I know I can't do this on my own. So this morning, I'm going to open the altar. The altar is yours. It's between you and the good Lord who's speaking to your heart. For those of you who have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I would be thrilled to utter, explain and have that opportunity of leading you to that saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. For others of you this morning, just as this word has stepped on my toes too, I go, ooh, Lord, you know what? That's a part of my heart I need to give back to you. Maybe you just need to make that decision in the pew. We're not going to linger this morning, but it would be an injustice not to give you an opportunity to respond to God's word. So let's stand together as we sing. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to I'm welcome with open arms, pray. 
This morning, I hope that you have been encouraged by God's word. Amen. Amen. And um, I pray that you will come back tonight uh, because if there's no greater a spiritual battle ground than our schools, we need to be in prayer. And so I know that you will be blessed. Uh, we know that it will be faithful obedience on our part to pray for our teachers, pray for our students, pray for our student ministry as they are in that, that ground of sharing Jesus day in and day out with friends that need to hear the Lord. Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your great word. We thank you for the hope that you have given to us. And most of all, Lord God, we have nothing to fear, absolutely nothing, because of the authority of Jesus Christ that rules over us. Lord, we pray that you would help us this week, that, Lord, we know in hearing your word that you're preparing us to be that testimony, that beacon of hope, to someone at work, and maybe a next-door neighbor or somebody we just meet. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. And in, in your wonderful name we pray, and all God's people say, Amen. Amen.